Peace. Actually, we've been talking about game plan for life. More specifically, God's game plan or God's will for our life. And, and many of you have prayed this prayer for a long, long time, and, and you are going to continue praying it, and you have been praying it. We invited everybody to be praying, God, show me your will for my life. God, what is it that is your plan? What is your game plan? What is your will for my life? And so for the last four weeks, we've been talking about that. And those of you who were here in the very first week, we know that we got into this whole idea that if you were to take every verse in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and you were to, uh, to just collect everything that had to do with the will of God or the plan of God, it could fall in one of three categories, the providential will of God. And I mentioned to you on that Sunday, the providential will of God, simply put, is this idea that God is God and God can do whatever he wants whenever he wants to do it because God is God. And we talked about his providential will and his moral will and how that his moral will is basically those things there in the Bible that God says, hey, listen, there's some things I don't want you to do, not because I'm trying to punish you, but because I want to protect you and I don't want you to do that. That's going to be ruinous. That's going to be damaging to your life and don't do that. It's my will that you not do those things. And then there are those great passages and verses where God says, here's what I want you to do. And if you'll do these things, I'm going to bless your life because listen, here's a biblical principle blessing always follows obedience. You obey God, his word, his will. It brings the blessing of God. And then the third category was this idea that, you know, when we're transparent, it's the one that we think about most often is the personal will of God. You know, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Where do you want me to work? Where do you want me to go to school? Who do you want me to marry? Uh, do you want me to take that job or not take that job? Do I buy that house? God, show me what is your will for my life. And we talked about that. And then each week, since we've been hammering away at more of the personal will of God. Week number two, I ask you this question, whose race are you running? You know, are you running your race, the race that God intended for you? Or are you running a race that is like your brothers or sisters or are that your parents sort of shape for you? Are you running a competitor's race instead of your race? Because God's given this you this unique, beautiful, wonderful design of your life. And with the talents and abilities and passions and gifts that God has given to you, are you certain that you're running the race that God has for you specifically and not for somebody else? And then in the third week, we talked about how that God, and we talked about this in the context of our job or our vocational opportunities and how that oftentimes our current opportunities, God uses to connect us to future opportunities. And then last Sunday, and we talked about, you know, is God still speaking today? Is he? And I said to you, absolutely, God is still speaking to us. God is speaking to us through his word, through the Bible. But he also speaks to us through wise counselors and godly mentors. And we looked at an example from the life of Rehoboam. And I shared with you this principle. And if you were not here last week, I'd encourage you to go online and listen to it. Because this is so important for us to realize that who we listen to uh, who we listen to is a preview of the future you. Whoever you are listening to, whoever I'm listening to is simply a preview of the future of who we're going to be. Now, some of you right here today, and I know this, you're just trying to figure out things about God. And we're all at a different place. We're not all at the same place, you know, in so many dimensions of our life. We're not at the same place spiritually. See, what I believe, there are some of you that are, you're trying to sort out 
Do you even believe in the existence of God? There's this part of you that you say, absolutely, I believe in the existence of of God. And, And you say that because it resonates within you. The Bible says his spirit bears witness with our spirit. There's something fundamental in the heart of every person that we know that there is a master designer, creator, that we didn't just appear by accident. But then there's so many people, and maybe this is descriptive of you, who it's like, well, you know, I can't, it just doesn't make sense. I just can't wrap my mind that there's a, a God, and, you know, I can't prove it. I can't put it on paper. You know, it's not like God is visibly appearing to me. And so maybe for you, you're just trying to figure out, does God exist? And then others of you where you're at, you're like, hey, I believe that he's exi- he exists, but does he really know me? I mean, is he fully engaged? Or was it like at creation, he just spoke everything into existence, and then, you know, he sort of backed off into retirement mode. And, and uh, some scholars describe how some people think about it in terms of like God's involvement in the world. It's almost like a top that you would spin, and he spun the top in the creation of the world, and then just gradually over time, it wobbles and eventually falls down. And maybe just over time, God has taken his hands off, but I assure you, he is not. And some of you, the question for you is not, does God exist or does he uh, know you? But it's like, does he really love me? And maybe for you, the hangup that you have and is in your mind is a father that you had on, on earth. And maybe you weren't uh, blessed with a father that was loving and tender and, and uh, really cared about your needs and cared about your future. And so for you, you almost have to overcome a negative example of a not so good earthly father to help you. And you're like, how can I really experience a loving, caring, compassionate father in heaven when my earthly father was everything but that. And so that becomes a hurdle. So does God really love me? And does God really care about me? And some of you wonder, I believe all those things, but it's just hard for me, Jeff, to believe that God has a plan. God's got a will that is specific for my life. And again, I just want to say to you, I believe that he does with everything that is within me. Now, I know there's some other thinking that goes on. So we've been going through this series because I hear people say things like this, and I've heard it during this series. Man, if I could have just heard this, you know, 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago, then it would have been so good to have heard it then. But uh, it's almost like an attitude that says, well, I'm too old, and it doesn't, you know, can't really help me now, or it's too late in the game for me. Others would say, well, you know, it's not that I'm too old. It's just that I've made too many mistakes. I've, I've sinned way too much. I've carried around lots of baggage. And, and in fact, some of you are thinking that, you know, the whole word dysfunction was probably created for you and your family and your contacts and because everything is so out of source and everything is so dysfunctional in your life and surrounding your life. And maybe you've just come in with this wrong notion that says, you know what, Jeff, as passionate as you are about what we're talking about, you know, Jeff, I just can't get it, man. There's just, uh, you know, there's just not a lot of hope for me. And I don't want you to think that way because God doesn't think that way. And when you have those thoughts, you know, like I'm too old or I'm too sinful or it's, it's too late. It's simply when you think that way, it's generally a reflection or perception of something that we think, listen now, this is important, that we think is true when actually it is not accurate at all. And I want to explain to you what I mean. And our problem is this. I want you to hear it. And I'll say it again and again intentionally throughout this talk in the next few moments. And here's our problem. Our problem is we believe that what God thinks about us, we believe that God thinks about us the way that we think about us. Let me say that again. We believe that God thinks about us the way that we think about us. 
let me, let me clarify. If I were to if I were to go to any of you and I were to say, hey, can we just sit down and have a cup of coffee or more, you know, practically for me? Hey, can we, you know, have some half and half tea at Chick-fil-A? That's probably how I would say it. Let's just talk a little bit. And in the course of our conversation, I was to look you in the eyes and say something like this to you. Hey, tell me, what do you think God thinks about you? What do you think God thinks about you? Do you know what you would tell me? You would tell me, if I ask you that question, what does God think about you? You would actually end up telling me what you think about you. But this is an important principle that I pray that you'll be able to grasp this morning is God does not take his cue about you from you. He simply does, does not. God does not take his cue about you from you. And if you've ever read the Gospels, if you've ever read the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in the Gospels, you will remember this occasion when several of Jesus' followers approach him with a sincere request, and they're like, Jesus, we need some help. We need a, a lot of help in a lot of areas of our life, but this is a biggie. We know that you pray. We know that you talk to the Father in heaven a lot, and we know that that's an important principle in your life. But Jesus, this is really an area that we need a lot of help in. And they gathered around and they said, Jesus, here's what we'd like to ask you to do. Will you teach us how to pray? Teach us how to pray. And do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, are, are you serious about this? And I'm paraphrasing, of course. Are you serious about this? Are, are you really? And they're like, yeah, we really, we really want to value prayer the way that you pray. And, and all right, are you ready? Because I'm going to teach you. And they're like, we're ready. And Jesus said, all right, if you really want to hear, if you really want to know, I'm going to teach you how to pray. And how many of you remember what Jesus said, how he started his prayer? He said, if you're going to pray, you need to start your prayer this way. Pray our, what? Our Father. When you pray, you begin your prayer with our Father. And, and I want to just ask you, do you think Jesus is right on that when he says it? And of course, a lot of you would say, absolutely. But do you see your life that way? Do you see your life the way that God sees your life? And, you know, Jesus said, you pray our Father. And do you believe that God looks at you? And when he does, he sees you as his child. You see, if, if you're a parent, and a lot of you are, you get this. Because when you think about your children, generally speaking, you're not thinking about their past. What are you thinking about? You're thinking about their future. When you're thinking about your kids, in fact, no matter what age they may be, you're not thinking about the problems in their life. You're thinking about the potential of what could be. You're not thinking about their worst. You're actually thinking about their best. And so could it be wrong? Could you be wrong in this regard? Could you be wrong that God does not take his cue about you from you? That when God thinks about you, he's thinking about you in a way that is different from the way that you think about you. And if that be true, how incredible would that be? What if God doesn't see people the way that you see people and the way that I see people? And according to the Bible, friends, this is completely accurate. And I want to show you an example of this. But before we get to these verses in the Old Testament, I want to just set up the story. And the story in the Bible is, is this way that there was this time when Israel did not have a king and, and uh, they wanted a king. And God said, well, you know what? I, I don't want you to have a king because I want to be your king. I want to be your king. 
And, uh, and they're like, no, but we want to be like all the other kings because all the other nations, they have kings and, and, and forget the fact that they were in, uh, you know, confusion and all kind of problems and going on in these nations because they, they had these kings and there was tumultuous times, but, but they just kept crying out, no, we want a king. We want to be like all the other nations. And, and that was not God's plan. Again, fundamentally speaking, God wanted to be their king. And yet they keep going on and on. And so there's this guy, this great spiritual leader. His name is Samuel. And so Samuel is, is this leader. He's like a prophet and a priest. And, and God is speaking to Samuel. And he says, you know what? You know, Samuel, I know. It's not my will to give them a king. But you know what? They're asking for it. <laughs> I'm going to give it to them. L- let me ask you a question. I want to do a timeout right here. All right? I want to ask you a question. How many of you are glad looking back now? I mean, from where you're at now, you can look back and say, I am glad there are certain things that I wanted in the past that God didn't give me. I am glad. I wanted them. I asked for them, and God didn't give them, didn't understand at the time. But looking back now, I'm glad. And so they're asking, and God says, you know what? They're not going to stop until we give them a king. And so Samuel finds, and long story, we're not going to get into it, but King Saul. And King Saul starts out really, really right, and everything is good about King Saul. But then after a period of time, it became more about what the will of the people, what they want instead of what did God want for his life. And he started making some tragic mistakes. And God, the Bible says God just basically took his hand off of King Saul. And so his kingship is coming to an end. And God speaks again to Samuel, and he says, hey, it's time now for, that we would find a new king. And so Samuel, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down to the house of Jesse. And Jesse has all these sons. And there's going to be one from among them that you're going to appoint and anoint as the new king of Israel. And with that, that's where we pick up. This is 1 Samuel 16. I want you to look at uh, verses 6 and 7 with me. Are you ready? Look at these two verses. 1 Samuel 16, 6 and 7. When they arrived... Samuel took one look at Eliab. Now, who is Eliab? Eliab is the oldest. He's the oldest. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. And Samuel's looking at him. He's like, you know, this has got to be the one. Eliab, he just looks like a king. Not only is he the eldest, God, this has got to be the one. But I want you to look at what happens next. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge him by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. Now, I want all of you to read this next verse with me. Everybody, let's read it together. Last line. The Lord doesn't see things the way that you see them. Let's read it again. Help me out, everybody now. Are you ready? The Lord doesn't see things the way that you see them. And that's what he's saying. And throughout the Bible, when you read it, you realize, yes, this is true, that God does not see as we typically see. God chooses, and I'll just give you a couple of examples. God chooses a guy by the name of Abraham. We read about that early in the Old Testament. And God looks at Abraham and he says, Abraham, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you the father of a great nation because Israel had no existence at that time. And he was saying, I'm going to make you the father of a great, great nation. And Abraham's like, okay, God, perhaps you've forgotten. Uh, You know, there's a little dilemma with that. I'm an old, old, old man. And I'm past childbearing age. And so is my wife. 
wife, Sarah, and Abraham probably around this time. I mean, he's way up. And Sarah, I think, is around 90 or so years of age at this time. And, and God's saying, here's what I'm going to do, Abraham. I'm going to bless you, and you're going to become the father of a great... And Abraham and Sarah, in fact, the Bible says Sarah heard the news, and she just laughed. She's like, how can that be? How can somebody give birth at the age that I'm at? But God does not see as man sees. And Abraham and Sarah, I mean, to be honest, you know what they're thinking about? They're thinking more about retirement than they are baby furniture. But God says, I see something you can't even see. And so what does God do? God, because he doesn't see the way that we see, he gives Abraham and Sarah a son who has a son who has a son. And little by little, this great nation of Israel begins to grow and expand. And then later in history, Old Testament history, now Israel is in captivity. And God says to a guy by the name of Moses, you know, I know that I'm going to give you a heart for the people and you're going to go to Pharaoh, the most powerful person in all the world. And you're going to speak to Pharaoh and you're going to mention to him these famous words. And a lot of you know these words. You go to Pharaoh and you say to Pharaoh, help me out here. Let my people go. And Moses is like, God, you don't even have the right person. I'm not the right person to do that. You know, and we don't even know what kind of speech impediment or challenge that Moses had, but he was not a great communicator. And he tells this to God. He says, you know, God, why wouldn't you choose somebody else? I'm, I'm not able to speak. And it's like God is saying, I'm choosing you, Moses, because I don't see as man sees. I don't see the way that you see. And what you think is true about you, I don't think is true about you. How about this one? God selects a person formerly known as Saul of Tarsus, and he says to this guy who's now going to become a church planter, who his whole day, uh, detailed past history was one of killing Christians and having them locked up into prison. His past was all about destroying churches. And now God says, this is what your future is going to be. You're not going to destroy churches. You're going to establish them. You're not going to destroy churches. You're going to defend them because God does not not see in the way that we see. And friends, I'm just saying, if you're not reading the Bible, you're missing out on a fantastic book. And if you think, well, you know, Jeff, I'm not even going to read the Bible. Number one, I don't have time, which by the way, I think we make time to do whatever we want to do. But Jeff, I'm not going to read the Bible because I'm going to get more depressed because you're thinking that the Bible is a book that chronicles the lives of perfect people. And the book is everything but that. I mean, I read passages in the Bible and verses in the Bible, and sometimes still to this day, I scratch my head and say, how can this be? Because you talk about dysfunction. The Bible is littered with dysfunction from beginning to end. And you're like, how could God use people like that? And it's like God always brings us back to this memory. Listen, God uses people because God does not take his cue about you from you. God does not think about you the way that you think about you. He just doesn't. And so as I mentioned earlier, if I was to sit down with you and say, hey, what do you think God thinks about you? You wouldn't tell me what God thinks about you. You would tell me what you think about you. And in your perception, in your imagination, you'd say, well, you know, that's how God thinks about me. And that may be the furthest thing from the truth. I want us to go back. I want you to look with me at, at a portion of verse 7, uh, the B part of the verse. People judge by outward appearance, but what does the Lord look at? The Lord, he looks at the heart. And that God, that's what God looks at. God's looking at your heart. I want you to think about that right here, right now, in these moments that we're together. You know what God is looking at? God is looking at your heart. 
And maybe over the last few moments, your mind has eased into maybe your problems or your schedule, your upcoming week. You've thought about your favorite football team and who they're playing next. And if your mind has drifted, even in the least, I want you to bring it back because you cannot afford to miss what I'm about to tell you. What we are seeing here today, this is so important. Please, friend, if you hear nothing else that I tell you today, but what we are seeing here today, and not just here today, but actually throughout God's word is this. What you or I did yesterday is a far less concern to God than where our heart is today. Are you with me on this? Wave at me if you hear what I'm saying. What you did yesterday is a far less concern to God than where our heart is today. I would imagine that every person in this place, I know I would have to say it, man, if I could just go back, I've made some different decisions. Some of you are saying, if I could just go back to my college days, man, would I, would I do things differently? If I could go back 20 years ago, Jeff, if I could go back 10 years ago, you might would be saying, if I could just go back last year, last month, last week, if I could just go back yesterday, I'd do things so much differently. But God is saying to you, you know what I'm concerned about? I'm concerned about your heart today. I want you to put your hand in my hand today. I want you to seek my will and my plan for your life today. And if you will open your heart to me today, then I'm going to help you to realize that what I see most about you is I see your heart and I'm your father and you're my child. And I do not take my cue about you from you, nor do I think about you the way that you think about you. I want to journey back just one more time to 1 Samuel 16 before we wrap up. And this is so important. I want you to see how it all plays out. Look at this with me. Pick it up at verse 8. Then Jesse called Abinadab. He's sort of next in line, you know, right after Eliab. What about all those names? Wow. And had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah, the next one, pass by. Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Look at this next part. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. It's like, I thought, no, no. I know, I know, Jesse, I know that the king is going to come out of your household, but it's not Eliab and it's not, you know, it's just not any of these guys. None of the seven are these. And then look at the question. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? And look at what Jesse said. They're still the youngest but he's tending the sheep. Now, how many of you know, are you with me on this? You know what Jesse is saying in this, that all the other brothers are saying in this, hey, it's not David. It's not David. Oh no, uh-uh, no way, no how. It's not David. In fact, David was seen to be such an unlikely candidate. They don't even have him up at the house when an important occasion like this going down. He's out tending sheep. He's the youngest. He's out tending sheep. I love the way Samuel says this. He said, sin for him will not sit down. We're not going to relax until he arrives. Look at this next part. So he sent and had him brought in. David walks in. Scriptures tell us he was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Do you hear God speaking to you this morning? Do you? Do you hear God speaking to you? He is letting you know that the real issue at stake here, it is not your age and it's not your job, and it's not your past, it's not your sins, it's not your mistakes. The real issue that matters most to God is the condition of your heart 
today. What you did yesterday is a far less concern to God than where your heart is today. Because God does not see you the way that you see you. And God does not take his cue about you from you. God sees you in a different way. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? Everybody, nobody moving around. Everybody hanging steady. This is really, really important. You see, I want everybody here in this place today to realize that 2,000 years ago, this loving God that created you, this loving God that has a plan for your life, sent his one and only son into this world, this messed up, broken, corrupt, sick world to die on a cross for you because you can't be good enough to get into heaven. You can't do enough right things to be saved. There had to be a sacrifice. Somebody had to pay a price. You see, this is what I know. Your heads are still bowed. Your eyes are still closed. This is what I want you to know today. God loves you. He really does. And God has a plan for your life. And God doesn't see you the way that you see you. He's looking for your heart. He's looking for your heart. So right now, where you're seated, would you just say, here's what I'm going to do, God. I'm going to surrender my will to your will. God, I'm going to open up my heart to you today. God, what I did yesterday, if I believe this to be true, is far less concern to you than where my heart is today. That, God, you're not taking your cue about me from me, that you don't see me as I see me. God, you see something different. And you love me. And you want to be my father. And you look past my age. You look past my sins. You look past my mistakes. You look past my baggage. And I wish that I could go back and redo a lot of things that I've done. But God, I can't do that. But I can present to you my heart today. I can give you my life today. Jesus, I need you. I need you. I want you. Maybe, friends... Today, you'd say, Jeff, there's a lot I don't understand about God. Good. Join the club. There's a lot I don't understand about God. Jeff, I don't understand what I read in the Bible. Yeah, there's parts I read and I don't understand. But this I know. Jesus said, you pray, our Father. It's a Father in heaven that loves you and cares for you. Father in heaven that loved you enough to send Jesus. And he wants to be your Savior and he wants to be the leader of your life, and he's got a plan for your life. He created you, and he created you to love you. And maybe you're not a Christian yet, but you'd say, you know what, Jeff? I realize now that, you know what? Maybe, maybe God is not done with me. Maybe all the baggage, all the mistakes, God will just, you know, he'll forgive me of, and, and he'll help me to move on in the newness of life. And Jeff, I'm not a Christian yet, but I want to become a Christian. If that's you, heads are still bowed, eyes are still closed, you just lift up your hand and say, hey, there's a lot I don't understand. There's a lot I haven't figured out yet, but I need Jesus. I need God. I want to do God's will in my life. If that's you, would you just lift up your hand for just a moment? Lift it up real high where you're at. I want to see it. It's going to take me just a moment. See your hand right over here and right back here. You just lift it up real high. Give me a moment to just see it right over there. 
anybody else? Would everybody stand right here, right now? Let's all of us stand together. Can we do this? And we're all going to pray this prayer together. Some of you have prayed it before. And so the reason you're praying it now is to help those who raise their hand. And some, maybe you're saying, but I didn't raise my hand, but I know I need Jesus. And I want to pray this prayer. And when you pray this prayer with me, it's not my words. It's not really your words. So what do you mean in your heart? What are you asking God to do? You're asking him to forgive you of your sins and to come into your life. You're asking him to reveal his will to you and give you the power to do his will. And so can we all pray this prayer? We're going to pray it out loud together, everybody. Let's pray it. Our Father, we need you. We need you in our life. We know that we have sinned. We know that we've got a lot of baggage. We've made some horrible mistakes. We've hurt others. We've hurt our family. We've hurt ourselves. But we need you. Forgive us of our sins. Thank you that you don't see us the way that others see us, the way that we see ourselves. But you see our heart. And we surrender our heart. And we surrender our will to you, Lord Jesus. Come into our life. Receive us. We receive you. Give us the power to live the life we want to live, the life we need to live. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, can we put our hands together and can we give Jesus some praise? Can we do it? I love you, everybody. Have an awesome, awesome week. I'll see you right back here next Sunday as we launch the new series.